Welcome to the NRL's Tackle Coaching Podcast, where the game's leading minds share their experiences to help you improve in all areas of coaching. Now here's your host, Scott Sattler. Tackle Coaching for NRL Podcast is back for its third episode. I'm Scott Sattler and we are joined by two gentlemen who play a very vital role in our game. We've got head of NRL football, Brian Canavan and former Belmain legend and ARL commission member, Wayne Pearce. Gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us here on this third episode. Now, we're here to talk about leadership and both of you play a huge role in leadership within our game. Um, Wayne Pearce, you as a, as a player and then as a coach and now as a as a commission member as well and, and Brian Canavan, you've got a, a very difficult role as a, as a head of rugby league but in saying that, an enjoyable role as well because you're very passionate about the game. And when we talk about leadership, guys, and I'll start with you first, uh, Junior, does the leader of a club or a team do they have to be the best player? Do they have to be the captain? Uh, well, I'd answer that because the last 16 years I've been working with corporates uh, and been working with um, the leaders in, in, in business. And one of the, the problems in business is that uh, the typical traje- trajectory in a lot of businesses is the best technical person, the best salesperson gets made the sales manager. Mm. Um, or you know the best customer service person gets made the customer service manager. And... In a lot of cases, um, those particular elevation of positions to, to that leadership role creates problems uh, because the the person who's been promoted doesn't have the, the necessary um, capability to, to actually become a leader. In a football sense, um, it is fraught with danger if you uh, just make the best player the captain because mm. you uh, don't want to lose them to another team or because you think that's a reward for their playing ability but uh, leadership is uh, in and of itself a huge responsibility um, and it requires a a set of skills that don't just come from being the best player Um, you know respect is important Um, it's important to be able to communicate it's important to to be able to uh, demonstrate discipline and confidence there's a whole lot of stuff and a lot of that stuff comes with character, uh, not necessarily skill. What about you, Brian? Uh, what traits do you look for when you're looking at a leader, um, or a potential leader? Well, uh, obviously they've got to have industry knowledge in the first instance, and that's what Wayne was alluding to from there. But beyond that, once and there are there are plenty of people with industry knowledge within industry, so they they um, identify themselves very quickly and quite easily. Going the next step into the leadership is difficult for certain people and they obviously need a lot of mentoring in the main. There are people who are leaders naturally but the vast majority of leaders have to be nurtured and developed and one of the things that I've noticed over time with leaders is that they have to have a presence. It doesn't mean that they've got to be the most demonstrative person in the group. It doesn't mean that they have to be the most outspoken person either but the, the key way that they have presence um, is just by display of their behaviours, and behaviours reflect the you know well they influence the culture of the organisation. We're talking about footy teams here and football clubs in general. So those behaviours are the ones that are observable. They impact on everybody within the group, and if those behaviours from the leader are along the right along the right lines, displayed in the right way, the rest of the group follows, and there lies the impact of that leader. Now, if if you ever come across a player in your time, and, and Brian, you've been involved in, in rugby league at all facets for many, many years, from strength and conditioning to junior development to coaching, 
operations, whatever it may be. So, so both of you, have you ever come across a, a player, for example, who maybe early on in their life was ill-disciplined, didn't have any commitment, but has actually developed into becoming a leader of, amongst their group? Oh, yeah, I, I can um, recall uh, a number of guys that, that have um, transformed, um, is for want of a better term. And I think a big part of that is uh, their ability to demonstrate maturity. Because one of the problems with, I think, a lot of people in terms of leadership um, is that they're, they, they, they still are attached to um, some maybe ir- irresponsible behaviours or some behaviors that um, don't support uh, the trust element because as a leader um, you really need to be highly trusted and that with that comes a, a huge capacity to influence and I think you know those trust behaviors um, can certainly be um, be learnt and um, without doubt the responsibility component can be learned I think it's part of the maturing process some people mature quite young mm. um, as the psychologists say, guys mature a lot later than girls do, and and some guys don't mature until after their footy career, maybe. So they're they're, they're not the ones that you would gravitate towards in terms of a leadership role. What do you reckon, Brian? You, Brian? Yeah, very much so, very mm. much so. Yeah, uh, there are so many players that have come through a schoolboy system where they are exalted heroes of schoolboy football, and then all of a sudden they hit the professional world and it's a shock to them and uh, they're challenged by it and if they haven't been moulded and they haven't got the discipline, that discipline on field and off field very often displays itself. Uh, It takes players a good while when they're in the professional uh, professional arena to mature beyond the footy. They learn the footy side of it very quickly because we're very advanced with our programs, Um, you know, the vast majority of our NRL players, if not all of them, are full-time now, but they don't sometimes, they miss out on that uh, gaining worldly experience beyond football. They're disciplined within football, but beyond that, they haven't had that worldly experience and just to see how industries operate beyond and um, yeah, sometimes that takes them a, a while. In you know, yesteryear, you know, um, players worked and played footy. And when they worked, they learnt all those other disciplines and expectations and behavioural traits in a workplace, carried them out of the footy. And in the footy place, then they became leaders uh, very quickly. And coming back to the first part of your question, uh, I call out one player as exceptional, an exceptional player, Brad Fittler. Mm. Uh, Freddie played for Australia coming out of year 12. He's a good <laughs> yeah, example, yeah. yeah. And Freddie was living life to the max. <laughs> and he openly admits that. And he's, he's displayed that everywhere. And he came back from a kangaroo tour at 18 years of age. And he put on seven kilos in one tour, apparently. <laughs> yeah. And then Freddie actually was appointed captain, captain of the Roosters. I was with the Roosters that stage, and he was appointed captain of Australia. And why was he captain? Well, he was the best player. Yeah. <laughs> That's what he was. Oh, he's got to be captain. He's the best player. And then Freddie started to grow as a leader in his mid to late 20s. And Freddie has developed into, well, developed into one of the best leaders I've seen in rugby league in my time. And that didn't happen until mid-20s plus, when the responsibility was just virtually thrust on him. And, uh, yeah, you're Captain Freddie. Good luck. 
Yeah, away you go. And uh, here he is, Freddie's now you know, a league person in our game and uh, one of the best, most generous people that mm. I've come across. So there's a, an example of an evolution for a player. I think you also bring up another good point there is that you never really stop learning as a leader. Mm. Uh, I'm sure Freddie will continue to learn. I'm continuing to learn. I'm sure you are as mm. well. Uh, but one, the other point I think is that um, in sport and in business, there's a common theme that that I've observed uh, in terms of leaders, and that is so many good young leaders have overcome huge adversity as a young kid. Mm. Um, you know, they've lost a parent. Um, they've had issues with, with regards to being kicked out of home. Um, it's huge adversity. And they've either uh, fallen over and got themselves into strife or they've stepped up and taken on this this responsibility which is the, sort of the leadership space and I see that as a really common theme for really good young leaders so there's there's two forms of leaderships I suppose that we identify from what I'm hearing from that is you got the ones that have built resilience from an early age and, and become leaders amongst their group and then you've got people who sometimes you have to I suppose fast track their maturity by making them the captain or the leader of the team would I be right in saying that Oh, very much so. Sometimes you, in teams, because you've got a flow of people coming through clubs over years, um, you, you might not have um, uh, identified leaders sitting in front of you. Yeah. So <laughs> sometimes you just thrust the leadership on them. And uh, the old days we used to do that. Now we're very, very aware of the demands of leadership in footy clubs. Therefore, they are supported in their the sort of nurturing years, I suppose, and then eventually they just run the leadership programs by themselves. A common trait too that comes through uh, on top of what um, Wayne was just saying there is that leaders are givers. They give time, they give energy, uh, physical support, mental support, uh, and that's where the great demand on a leader's personal time and personal emotions lie. And that's not always seen by everybody because a lot of that is just personal mm. time given to individual people in the organisation. So uh, I haven't seen a selfish person yet be a great leader. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's a good point. Now, you talked just briefly, you mentioned around the, the subject of basic leadership groups and not your individual leader. And I spoke about it with this Anthony with Anthony Minicello and, and Matty King uh, in one of our recent podcasts. And I talk about leadership groups and do they need to develop internally? And I'll start with you first, Brian. And um, do they need to develop internally amongst your, your players or can you manufacture a leadership group? Yeah. Well, research says that the vast majority of leaders come from within an organisation, whether it's in business, corporate world or footy clubs. So people come through the organisation, they show their leadership potential capabilities and eventually they are assigned a leadership position, whether it's having captain after your name or vice captain or just being in a senior leadership group. And I always remember this uh, situation Melbourne Storm faced a couple of years ago where they didn't have a leader evident, mm. but they had leaders, but there wasn't one standout. So they put a, a, a co-captaincy um, role in place, and it was Cameron Smith and Billy Slater, <laughs> two fair leaders. Mm. And eventually they had to make a decision, and they chose Cameron Smith. And I'm sure that agonised Craig Bellamy at the time. And then we look at Cameron Smith, like outstanding leader, not only in rugby league, but in any sport and yeah. probably any business in Australia. So it took 12 months for Melbourne Storm to work out. And their great benefit is that they had this guy called Billy Slater, who didn't have captain after his name, but he was as influential as Cameron Smith. 
And uh, on you know, the flip side of that is sometimes you've just got to know the leader sitting in the group and it's just uh, a waiting appointment and uh, you're very lucky if you've got that person sitting in a group. What happens, Junior, if you're at a club and you create or manufacture your own leadership group? Is there, is there some real pitfalls in that? No, I think uh, there, there's real benefit in nurturing um, leaders, which is effectively um, identifying those people in the group that um, are demonstrating um, the confidence, the, the influence skills, the communication skills um, to be a leader and, and the desire to be a leader and you're nurturing those, I, I think that's a, that's a good thing because what can happen in organisations, footy teams and or businesses is if you've uh, got these influences and they're not being brought into a, a collective um, effort to try and build a culture, what happens is you get clicks and clicks can destroy political parties, mm. they can destroy organisations, they can destroy football teams or football clubs. So by by getting buy-in and, and getting the, the collective uh, group of, of influencers or leaders that you um, want to, to get together to create the, the ideal culture, then that's, I don't think that's a negative. I think it's a real positive. Well, the Tigers are probably a perfect example. When they had the Woods, Tedesco, Brooks and, and Moses, who were the obvious four main players within that club and the, the players that you would think from the outside looking in that a lot of players would look towards... So in a way, they've probably had to manufacture their own leadership group per se. Would I be right? Yeah, I think there's a lot of clubs like that. Yeah. I think there's a lot of clubs that go through, um, and the Storm will have to go through it uh, in a couple of years mm. when their senior players, Billy Smith, about um, Billy Slater, I should say, and Cameron Smith, I've, I've mixed them together there for a moment, <laughs> Billy Smith, uh, uh, Cameron and... You played uh, against Billy Smith. <laughs> yeah, I, so I think clubs go through cycles, um, and the Tigers certainly, with a young young bunch of guys there, ha- had to do some work in terms of identifying who was going to be their emerging leaders and leadership group, and that's an ongoing process for, for, for sort of all clubs. Influential coaches, I want to have a chat to both of you, get your both opinion on who you feel the, the influential coaches, I mean all coaches have an influence on their players, but who are the ones that really stand out to you for whatever reason that play a huge role amongst their club as leaders right now, a positive role. In the NRL? Yeah, or yeah. Or uh, even in the game itself. It doesn't have to be an NRL coach, but yeah, no, no, the If coaches. you're talking about the NRL, in terms of if you had to pick one uh, that's consistent over time and enduring and, and has, has been shown to bring players through, and you got you can't get past Craig Bellamy. And you why? Know, so what, what are his traits well, that impress you? Know, you? If you look at what Bellamy brings to the game. Uh, firstly, he is an absolute student of the game, um, as in he is um, always looking to what's the next, the next best thing. Um, he's innovative. Um, he lives and breathes the game. You know, and when you find your passion in life, um, it's not uh, an effort. It's it's just what you do. Uh, in fact. Uh, I, I believe there's, there's there's four overlapping circles, and at the centre of that is 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 the ideal job for you. And Bellamy's obviously found that. Mm. And that is, you know, what you're really good at, um, what what your strengths are, it, it's it's um, what it is that um, you love to do. Because sometimes you're good at something, but you don't love to do it, right? Yeah. What you love to do, um, it's what society needs or the community needs, and it's what you're going to get paid for. At the centre of those 
is what your where your passion is, and he's found his passion. And for me, it's um, his ability also to bring players through that you know, other clubs really don't sort of see value in, uh, and he's done an enormous job in that area, um, and he continues to do that. And that ability for him to make players better than what they think they are, that's the sign of a great leader and the great sign of a great coach, mm. to make players better than what they think they are. Yeah. Mm. Brian? Well, I'd... Yeah, go to one of Craig Bellamy's mentors, Wayne Bennett. <laughs> yeah, so I agree with everything. You've had a lot to do with said. Wayne in the Queensland Rugby League for a lot of years. Yeah, for just sort of going back to the mid-80s where we were involved in emerging player squads, etc. And eventually they're the norm. They became the norm. And uh, Wayne's great strength, and he's got plenty of strengths obviously with within the actual presentation of the game, but he's, it's his man management's. And um, that's what Craig Bellamy's got as well, of course. Obviously, but Wayne's man management skills are ones where he can get very, very close to players. He understands players. He's virtually in their head. And if they step out of the crease, for example, or are failing in their meeting expectations at training or in, in games, because he's got that relationship with his players, the players feel as though they've let him down personally. And uh, that's where the personal commitment relies um, b- between the player and 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 Wayne. Um, the the other you know, we're talking about a couple of years there. Wayne at his age now, Craig Bellamy, and then uh, I've been fortunate enough to deal with a couple of coaches, and there are plenty of developing. But uh, Trent Robinson and Paul Green. You know, Trent Robinson's he's uh, he's achieved. So is Paul Green. They've got premierships. But like Craig Bellamy, who has set benchmarks, these two guys are real students of the game, and they're students of people. And we're very fortunate to have the next wave of coaches bubbling through at a, at a younger age. And no doubt there are heaps of other names beyond those that we've mentioned. Are you hedging your bets? He asked you for one. <laughs> we talk about Trent Robinson. <laughs> you talk about Trent Robinson, uh, Brian, and when you look at – and you don't have to be the best player to be, a, to be a great coach, but you look at Trent Robinson's rugby league career and he played some first grade and spent some time overseas, didn't have a you – know, didn't play 200 NRL games, but has developed into one of our, our real great modern coaches – I actually brought him into first grade at the Tigers. I gave him his debut. So, so, yes. so you'll, um, you'll take the yeah. No, no, no. I'm just saying. But but what but what Robbo um, had as a player was an absolute commitment to do, to do his best and be his best. Um, what as a coach, he's taken that into the coaching ranks and he's developed into an outstanding coach. And it's it it, it all revolves and pivots around him doing what it takes to be the best he can be. And he's he's an innovator, and he's, he's had fantastic success and won a competition. And he's one of our great coaches as well. What could junior coaches learn from you? Talk about uh, Wayne Bennett and and also Craig Bellamy. What could junior coaches? What could they learn from two people like that? Because they're not they don't have the resources. They don't spend every day with their players like an NRL coach does. So when you're a coach. Let's say I'm, I'm an under-15s coach and I'm coaching in northern New South Wales at Casino, whatever it may be. What could I learn from one of those coaches that I could implement as part of my coaching? One of, one of the things that, that shines through is, is that, um, firstly, why are you doing coaching? Are you coaching because you love doing it? Mm. or you, are you, As in because you love doing it because you want to help the, the kids get better? Or are you doing it because you want to, just want to win a comp and you want, and want to look good yourself? Because if you're doing it for that reason, it's not the reason that really is going to sustain you to, to be the best coach you can be. But if you're doing it because you want to help the co- kids be the best they can be, and then 
then in the process you might win a competition. If you don't win a competition, at least the kids are the best they can be. I think that's that's why the great coaches coach because they want their players to be the best they can be. And hopefully they're going to win a comp as well. Yeah. Um, I think the other th- the other thing that that's um, really important is from those coaches' points of view, they they understand that there's different personalities they're dealing with. Okay, and they understand how to connect with the different personalities and understand what the different triggers are for the different personalities. And in a junior coach, coaching, if you're a junior coach and you're coaching a footy team, you've got a whole lot of different kids and it's really part of the process of learning human behaviour is to be a coach and trying to work out how I can get through to these kids. For me, that's a really key part that translates directly from the NRL down to, to your under-10s or under-11s. Ryan? I'll weave in my answer going back to Trent Robinson. I think he played four games, Wayne, NRL games. Yep. And um, I was at the Roosters. You might have been there around that time where Arthur Beetson recruited the the whole of St Gregory's front row as Peter <laughs> Cusack, Simon Betty, <laughs> Benetti and uh, Trent Robinson. And uh, same same uh, memory that I've got of Trent when I was at the Roosters that Wayne's mentioned that he did everything that he could. And um, he asked questions galore. Eventually, we got sick of him. We had to tell him to run away. Yeah. When he became head coach, he couldn't tell him to run away, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so he was—he was—he had this great curiosity about how to improve himself or how to improve others, and that's you know now on full display as a head coach. Um, so we talk about Trent Robinson, but a, um, a comment I came across in a, a soccer book years and years ago is that players don't care what you know until they know that you care. And, you know, okay, we compare Robbo's career and Craig Bellamy's career. It certainly wasn't this 300-game player who played mm. ex-internationals. But all those coaches display care. So how is the, the care displayed for coaches at junior level or senior level? The care is displayed in attempts to develop the players as people and as performers, you know, uh, as players. So, and then how do they do that? They are, they, they're totally committed and passionate about designing the best programs to develop their players. And eventually then, out of all this, they have success. Hopefully, you know, at NRL level it converts into titles, but if it doesn't, at least they can walk away from their coaching career saying, I really helped such and such a player develop. Mm. And I think that's that comes back to they're absolutely committed to the process uh, and they're not looking at the scoreboard, the outcome, because if they – if as a junior coach you're worried about winning winning the yep. the competition, um, you're not committing to the process. And as Brian, I think, articulated that the process is 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 dealing with the players at every training session, helping them be the best they can be. And you talk about a a, a word quite a bit. Whenever I talk to you about your programs and what you run corporately, and whether it's in rugby league, it's that word harmony. That, that word harmony always comes up. So. If you care about your players, again, the same scenario, I'm 15, under 15s coach, and if you care about your players individually and you, you know your players, that then can create a harmonious circle, which then can lead to some form of success, whatever that may be, hopefully. Yeah, one of, one of the, the actual epicenter, and I've looked at the science of teamwork for a long time, that's what I do with businesses, is, is uh, work with them, help bosses in business, teach them how to build teams. And the absolute epicenter of teamwork is is um, trust. If you don't create a high trust environment unilaterally across your team, uh, then forget any aspirations to having a high performing team. And, and what that comes back down to in terms of fundamentals is is the the players at NRL level really understanding each other uh, and and really respecting each other. 
And if you have a bad apple uh, in the bunch, it's going to create a problem. That's the NRL coaches are pretty quick to deal with bad apples, uh, particularly from a trust perspective. And at a junior footy club level, um, you've you got to, you got to ha- apply the same principle. You've got to help the players understand each other uh, and also respect each other and set standards that demonstrate uh, respect in, in, in a whole range of areas from, from walking the talk to, to uh, being supportive of each other right through. Can you remember your first coach, Brian? As a when as a senior player as a was a junior yeah uh, I certainly can as a junior yeah um, it was back in uh, Dolby and which is out in Darling Downs good territory sats and um, I can remember I was that's as a, an under sixteen coach and uh, he was also my school teacher uh, so I remember that coach there teaching me the game. And probably wasn't as much exposure to the wider parts of coaching mm. in those days. And turned up to training twice a week, and you know and that took a lot of travel because I was living on a property outside Dolby. And so I do remember uh, loving going to training and just learning about the game. It was a physical challenge, and that's very unique about rugby league is that it is a physical challenge. But so is the playground when kids go and tumble everywhere. That's a physical challenge. That's why they love it, and that's what our game provides but in a very structured and safer environment than, than the wild and woolly playgrounds. Uh, as a senior coach, um, I remember back to Ross Strudwick, and he was a halfback, yep. and uh, you remember, great nickname, the Rat. <laughs> <laughs> Not many people have heard his first name, actually. <laughs> he was a rat, too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he was just this in, incredibly intense person, mentally and physically, he was a non-athlete. He had the mm. worst body build, <laughs> except for Daryl Broman. But <laughs> uh, yeah, the worst body build uh, going. But I, I just remember things about uh, he was a player coach, which yep. was a little bit rare. You went there yeah. too, I think, Wayne. Yeah, it would be amazing if we ever had one of those yeah. in these days. I don't think it'll mm. happen. But when any, ever anybody scored from our team or whenever the opposition scored and you're looking at replays and the rest, you see this little number seven in the screen somewhere, and he was annoying someone. Yeah, and if he couldn't get to the players to annoy, he'd annoy the referee or the touch judge or something. And the other player in the team who learned a lot of him is Wally Lewis, and yeah. Wally Lewis carried those trays onto the playing field, and they manipulated the the playing arena. It was quite incredible the, the power. And in modern day players, in a different way, uh, Cameron Smith does it. Mm. Yeah, he controls the pace of the game. If he wants to speed it up, he can. If he mm. wants to slow it down, he can. Yeah. And I remember Wally in the State of Origin game talking uh, New South Wales and the Wayne Maywell had been playing. New South Wales had Queensland on the ropes. And uh, uh, Barry Gomerson was the referee, the grasshopper they called him. And apparently Wally tells a story and he can't embellish a story. <laughs> but he's, he went to the referee and he said, we're doing it tough. Barry, can you give us two penalties in a row so we can get out of our own half? <laughs> sure enough, up, up went the hand. Good Queenslander, the, the grasshopper. Rest in peace. He was a great referee and a great character in our game. Yeah. Can you remember your first coach, Junior? Um, I can re- remember quite a few of my junior coaches. Yeah, I can actually. Uh, one, one of the guys um, in the team, um, the, the, the coach's name was Ray Hutchinson, and, and he was uh, somebody that that uh, was, was just there because his boy was playing the game and he wanted us to, to have fun and, and and we did have fun. I started playing the under-10s. In, in terms of the juniors, the, probably the one that, that really made a difference to me was a guy called Jim Thompson who was Ian Thompson, played for Australia and played for Manly, his dad. Uh, and Jim played uh, first grade as well and he was uh, my, my sort of Jersey flag coach, representative coach. Uh, 
and he taught me a whole lot about discipline, about um, about the the science of, of playing in the forwards and playing back row, which I did. But in, when I came up into grade, um, without doubt, the biggest influence on my career as a coach was was uh, Frank Stanton. He he came to the club in '81. We we ended up with a wooden spoon that year, but uh, he he took built us up very quickly to to being a semi final force and ultimately a grand final force. And and he he was also the coach of the Australian team. And I made my debut on the Australian side, and uh, thanks to him and his belief in me, it was um, it was a career that I'm sort of fortunate to have had. Mm. Cranky Frankie, <laughs> yeah, that was him. He, he did. He used to blow up. <laughs> he used to be very selective about when he blew up, though. He used to know when when to blow up and and uh, when to be when to show the care and warmth. A little bit like Craig, earlier version of Craig. <laughs> <laughs> now, coaches are obviously leaders. Is there still a place for? A little bit of dictatorship, probably not the right word to use, but a little bit of dictatorship in your in your leadership. Uh, what I've seen over time with coaches and their trades and in leaders all through, and we've got it with our commissioners, which Wayne is part of, is that they need to be consistent and predictable. You know, and their expectations are there, behaviourally, training wise, effort wise, performance wise, all that there. But there's also just that little bit of five, ten percent unpredictability about them and coaches can roll out that 5% of unpredictability in their responses if needed in certain situations with certain individuals but the overriding uh, the overriding trait is just being consistent and what is consistent consistent in behaviours their own personal preparation and, and discipline, the way they greet players, the way they include players, the way they develop teamwork um, the way they interact with people beyond the playing group and that then just flows um, but as I say that that consistency is probably the, the greatest trait that I've seen and that dictatorship could possibly rest in that 10% of mm. unpredictability certain coaches have got it certain coaches know um, but if it's if dictatorship rests in the 90% I don't think that in this day and age players yeah. would respond to dictatorship well you talk about managing consistency so What's the difference between leadership and management? Is there a difference? Uh, not, not, not a great deal. Um, management probably is the precursor to leadership. Management means that you've got everything in place and it's got a, a more of a, a physical overtone to it. You, the, 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 let's say all your programs are in place and man management, what is that? That means that how you're interacting, yeah, your, your program of um, uh, interaction with players is part of management. The leadership is the next level of it, and that sort of takes you into that area there of the 10% unpredictability and a bit of an X factor. And there's no doubt the Wayne Bennett's and Craig Bellamy's of this world, they've got an X factor about them. Mm. I, I tend to think that um, as a coach, management and leadership are two parts of what you do. Okay, um, they're two. They're, at one end, you've got uh, the type of coach that just is fully into management. Okay, so the management stuff's about the task. It's about how we do stuff. It's about the process. At the at the other end, the leadership stuff. It's about um, it's about how do I develop this particular person, take them on a journey to where we want to get to. Uh, it's about the vision for the team. It's 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 about the stuff that's a bit more uh, less task, more people. And I think. Um, a good coach is able to swap between the two depending on 
It's same in business. A good boss in business is able to switch, switch, switch between the two depending on the, the, the demands of the day. So if there's a crisis, then you've got to go into management. You've got to be hands-on. You've got to be, be uh, controlling. Over, over the other end, uh, the leadership space is more where, where bosses and coaches, I think, sh- should spend more time, but gravity tends to suck them down into the, the management space, which is the space that traditionally technical people get to because this is all the technical stuff down here um up here's the the stuff the really uh leadership future-based stuff coaching space um taking people on a journey space that is not naturally uh understood but we have to learn that stuff now brian you play a a very important role in the game and as one of our leaders uh, head of football when you make a big decision that's involved in our game as a leader are you the sort of leader that consults with your team or is there a time where you know what the answer needs to be and it's more of a, a, a an atomic role? Um, well, my, my nature says that I am a collaborative, consultative sort of person and out of that exercise, which can be some somewhat time-consuming, but you gather a lot of evidence and my style is one of evidence-based decision-making. But you eventually, over time, and you end up with the grey hair such as I've got, a lot of the evidence accumulates in your mind and you can then head towards making quicker, more gut-feel decisions Mm. and be more comfortable with that. There's a bit of courage attached to that too because you've got to get it right. So I'm relatively new to the job. I'm absorbing that much evidence and trying to compartmentalise it so it sits in a file in my mind somewhere so that down the track I can make quicker decisions that I'll be very comfortable making. At this point, I'm someone who likes the evidence in front of me so that all the bases are covered, everybody gets a fair hearing, and then we make the decision, we get on with life. Mm. And uh, majority of coaches go like that, and coaching's an amazing profession. And we don't acknowledge our coaches, whether it's an under-15 coach or an NRL coach, we don't acknowledge the very unique skill set that they possess or the great challenge they've got and then the skills to address that challenge and eventually be successful. But whether it's an under-15 coach or an NRL coach, they gather evidence, statistics and videotapes and um, their, their wellness data, et cetera, et cetera. They pull it, put it into their minds, and then they pull it out when necessary. So, in wrapping up and, and reflecting on everything that we've spoken about, how important is it that we, our coaches, understand and embrace uh, positive leadership, just to make sure that the junior experience is a positive one coming through those early ages? Well, um, we're a big organisation with the uh, National Rugby League, and that has influences on its programs all the way down to the the coach of under sixes and below, and with that overriding responsibility as a governing body, the thing that has impressed me in the NRL is uh, our strategic plan with its four values, which are teamwork, courage, inclusive, inclusiveness and excellence. And if those are the core values of our NRL, that goes into all our programs and those programs go and touch the, the, uh, the whole lot of our coaches because they must be accredited to coach, of course. And then those values have to turn into behaviours. And if our coaches, at whatever level in the game, can display behaviours in line with those values, we're in a very healthy state. And um, you know, teamwork is the overriding one. It's a very common thing. But teamwork is culture, it's trust, it's all those sorts of things. Mm. Then uh, we, we use a specific example. A coach then has to go and instil teamwork with all those 
behaviour traits being within that team. That's an example of how we uh, adopt our values uh, into behaviours in coaching. Yeah, very informative. And you both play vital roles in the game of rugby league and you're both tremendous leaders that will allow our game to continue to evolve uh, in the right direction. I just want to thank you both for joining us on, on Tackle Coaching. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Scott.